Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. At shutdown on Friday, Jack left the radio factory and caught a taxi to the house at the foot of Tenakori Hill, where Gregory lived with his mother and father. On Friday the week before, in the final hour of work, Gregory had run from the factory in tears. The leading hand of the electrical engineers had reported to Jack, his factory foreman, that he'd received a small shock from a capacitor. Enough to give the boy a fright, but not enough to cause him serious harm. Yet Gregory's position in the assembly line had remained empty in the days since. And that empty space had become a disquieting question for Jack. Jack asked the taxi driver to stop a block away from his destination. Walking along the roadside toward the house, he picked a bouquet of wild flowers which he presented to Gregory's mother, Dot, when she answered the door. Thought I'd come by to see how Gregory is, Jack said. Everyone at the factory's been asking. Dot's face seemed paler and more drawn, and her green eyes duller than Jack remembered. She looked at the flowers without accepting them, her gaze resting finally at her feet. He's been keeping to himself, she said. Jack could hear music playing faintly inside. I hope you don't mind me visiting, Jack said. We ask all workers to provide their address. You knew Gregory had? Dot nodded. More of a bad scare than any harm done, I hope, Jack said. Dot looked up. He needs to rest, she said. Then, Alan's home. It shouldn't have happened, Jack said. It won't happen again. Jack saw in a room at the end of the hall behind Dot a boy's arm reach out to adjust a dial on a small radio set and the music reduced to silence. The house was so quiet it occurred to Jack that Gregory might be their only child. I know Gregory will be all right, Jack said. Alan's loud voice sounded from inside the house. Who is it? Gregory's not your concern, Dot whispered to Jack. Then, turning her head, she said, It's Jack. Dot, why don't you check on Gregory, came Alan's voice. I can talk to Jack if he wants to talk. I'd hoped to see how Gregory was doing, Jack called through the doorway. You'll see him when he's fit to return to work, Alan said. It's not that, Jack said, raising his voice. He can take as long as he needs. Heavy footsteps fell across the timber floorboards. Jack scattered the flowers in the lavender hedgerow beneath the front window a second before Alan appeared behind Dot. I'm happy to spell this out, Alan said. We all wish Gregory well. All our son needs is to be left alone. Alan reached above Dot's head. She slipped under his arm and retreated into the room, and he shut the door firmly in its frame. With dusk closing in, Jack turned and began walking back along Tinakori Road towards Bowen Street. Old memories played through his mind. The idea of a family had been carved out of Jack's life, so he felt, long before he and Dot had met. They'd dated 15 years earlier in 1923, when Dot was 19 and Jack was 20. 
At the time, Jack was already drinking occasionally at the Midland Hotel, a few blocks from the central telephone exchange where he was apprenticed as an electrical engineer. The hotel's bar wasn't a rowdy place, but it possessed a vitalising energy that Jack, on his first visits, couldn't put down to the drink alone. The bodies and conversations that filled the room seemed to charge the air with special meaning. To begin, Jack was content to let that energy slip around him like water, as something clean and essential but which couldn't be grasped. It was only after he and Dot began seeing each other that Jack started to understand the private language that sat beneath the interactions of some of the hotel's patrons. It was like learning where the submerged stones were in a river by watching for patterns and the disturbances on the surface. The men who removed themselves in piers by the internal stairwell leading to the rooms above seemed to Jack to be on fire and intent on plunging their bodies headlong into a cool aquifer. Some of those men had been amongst the first to approach Jack in the earlier days, when he'd thought he was watching not a coded series of performances, but simply a rippling surface of aimless human excitement. Jack continued to drink at the Midland Hotel a few times a week, keeping to himself and ignoring, or not recognising, his own delight in feeling somehow a part of it all. The first time Dot surprised Jack there, she explained that one of the operators at the telephone exchange told her where she might find him. Jack looked at the two tickets Dot held out to him, to a show playing that night at the repertory theatre. He smiled warmly and suggested he buy them dinner beforehand. Then he set down his half-drunk beer and they left the hotel together. The weeks and months deepened. Although Dot came back to the hotel infrequently, Jack developed the habit of taking a seat facing the entryway. His visits became a way of allowing himself, for an hour or two at a time, not only to enjoy the sense of bubbling life inside the bar, but also to forget the world beyond its doors, including the shared circumstances that were thickening around him and Dot. The idea or the obligation of marriage had begun to press upon Jack's mind. He thought he knew the shape of a marriage from what he'd observed of other people's, but he wondered how the substance, the lived dailiness of it, ought to look and feel. He could not imagine it with conviction or nuance of detail. His mental pictures of a life with Dot were rough sketches in a notebook, impressions of a truer form, which itself could not be witnessed directly. As Jack was finishing the last beer one winter's evening, a man he had spoken with perhaps a half-dozen times before, only ever briefly, took the seat beside his. After a few words of greeting, the man mentioned, in an almost offhand manner, that he sometimes liked to book a room upstairs. A quiet spot to share a little extra time with a friend, he said. Maybe a friend like you, Jack. The man touched Jack's hip, letting his hand linger there, applying a gentle pressure before retracting it. Jack had never been so openly confronted before. Approaches were usually timid, fleeting and never physical to any degree. They could be easily disregarded with a mundane remark and then put out of his mind. But this man had made sure his proposal could not be ignored, and for a long moment Jack was struck mute. They were on the second step of the internal stairwell when Jack heard Dot speak his name. The man let go of Jack's sleeve, and Jack turned around, a sickness rising in his throat. She stood a few short feet away. 
the way Dot held herself, her slight shoulders forward, her head bent down. She looked ashamed to be in that room filled with people of the opposite sex. It's true then, she said, raising her head to look from Jack's face to the other man's and back again. It was a question that had been present between them for longer than either Jack or Dot could have admitted. And the bitter silence in that moment seemed to acknowledge that the question was already answered and that there was nothing else to say. Dot began to leave and Jack took a step toward her. The man caught Jack by his arm. You can kick up a fuss later. Not here, he said. Jack watched Dot move through the crowded room and disappear out into the cold evening. Jack passed Dot six months later on the street. She was walking arm in arm with the man she would soon marry, whose name Jack would learn was Alan Ford. She'd been close enough that Jack could have reached out and touched the lace on her sleeve. Dot returned his look for an instant, then passed him over with her eyes as if he were any other man in the crowd. Jack understood in that moment that Dot's apparent silence amongst her social circle over the reason for their separation and her refusal to report him to the police was conditional on a certain distance being maintained between them. He realised that his real life could only be lived in tacitly enforced isolation, within a world hidden beneath and separated from the larger world enjoyed by ordinary people, ordinary people like Dot and Alan. Then, in November of 1937, Gregory Ford showed up at the radio factory, declaring that he was finished with school at 13 years of age and eager to start work. He was fascinated with electrical gadgets and had constructed several crystal radio sets at home. Something about the boy's face caught in Jack's mind and he dimly registered the surname. He admitted Gregory to a week-long trial and at the end of it, the boy was appointed to the payroll. It was then that Jack thought of the rich green of Dot's eyes which her son had inherited. The day following Gregory's appointment to staff, Jack was cutting through an alley on his walk home from the factory when he heard bootsteps behind him. A moment later, Alan Ford had him pinned by his throat against the coarse brick wall. I don't care what you are to him, Alan said, his mouth so near to Jack's face that Jack could feel his dry lips graze his cheek. I'll break every bone in your skull if you lay one hand on my son. In the years since then, Jack had paid little attention to what Alan's threat meant for himself and worried instead whether Alan might represent some unpleasantness in the boy's home life. Jack hoped to provide a safe place that Gregory could feel happy returning to day after day. There were occasions, say, teaching the boy some new intricacy of radio construction, when Jack entertained the idea that Gregory might be the product of an alternative life between him and Dot. Jack's relationship with Dot was never improved upon or made more real in those imagined moments. But Gregory became a concrete idea, a living dream, of a life Jack knew he would never otherwise obtain. The instinct had come easily to Jack, and it was the feeling that he'd betrayed some familial responsibility that had driven him to visit Dot and Alan's house to see that the boy was all right, to try to maintain their trust, especially Gregory's. Jack turned off Bowen Street onto Lambton Quay, the house on Tinnacory Road well behind him now. 
he decided that the wildflowers had been a mistake. He had picked them as a way to signal friendly terms. But how might Dot have understood the gesture? She wouldn't have thought it malicious or mocking. But had Jack seen a flicker of old shame pass across her eyes? And if so, was Jack the sole object of that shame? Jack thought of the quiet of Dot's house. It seemed unusual for Gregory not to have any brothers or sisters, especially so if Gregory's early conception had been the reason for Dot and Alan's quick marriage following her separation from Jack. Alan's words echoed through Jack's mind. I don't care what you are to him. Had Alan known more about Jack than Jack had known about himself? And was that knowledge the real source of Alan's animosity? And beneath that, was it in fact resentment that Alan felt? The sense of a new truth hardened inside Jack's ribcage, fitted neatly against that other secret he'd kept for half his life. Along the last stretch of road, the large, clean face of the Midland Hotel came into view. They'd be serving last drinks, and Jack decided that he'd like one. As he opened the door and entered the warmth and light of the bar, Jack considered the Monday morning to come. If Gregory wasn't on the factory floor, he would visit Dot at her home again. He would work through whatever opposition Alan put up, and he would keep going back until Gregory had returned to the factory. Jack would go back and back until Dot understood that he knew what he'd left behind once and wouldn't leave behind again. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hulu.